Today is January 8th, and it's our first show of 2018. You're listening to Human Factors Cast, episode 72. Today on the show, we're going to be breaking down the top Google searches of 2017, San Diego's smart streetlights, and we're going to be taking a look into Amazon's Black Mirror. Welcome to 2018. Human Factors Cast starts right now. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey guys, welcome back to 2018. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. It's, I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today by my good friend and yours, Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. Good evening, everybody. I am so stoked to be back here in 2018 with you, Nick. I can't believe it's already a new year. I know, man. Hey, so, okay, so our listeners know that we pre-recorded a couple shows. A lot has happened since our last show. What's been going on with you, Blake? Because I got a lot to talk about. Yeah, you got a lot to talk about. <laughs> I'll make this brief. So I traveled for the holidays and spent a lot of time over in Ireland, and one of my big hobbies is taking pictures. And I actually hadn't realized that Canon's UI is so awesome with regards to just changing settings quickly from whether it's your aperture or your or uh your shutter speed anything like that your iso and it's all all of like the canon like t i think it's ti or 6ti rebels they all have touch screen which i didn't realize that older cameras didn't have at all as far when they had their little led displays so it was just one of those things that i had noticed a lot more since i was pretty much taking pictures for the last two weeks you know, um, every, everything you just said was uh, a little gibberish to me. Uh, so Canon is a brand of camera. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Canon's like a, one of the bigger name brands of camera. And basically all I'm talking about is there's settings in the camera that make it so pictures look brighter or they you get that like blurry contrast of the city lights. You, I don't know, just ways that you can change how the picture's going to actually turn out. Kind of like presets where, you know, you, you have a set, um, a set, of sets where you just kind of hit it and it like automatically adjusts the aperture and, and lighting and all that stuff. Right. Exactly. It has that. Okay. More of what I'm getting at is being able to hone in each one of those specific things and make basically your own preset really simply on the fly, kind of while you're out and about shooting. So you don't have to worry about like either carrying multiple cameras or worrying about switching lenses. You can kind of just like shoot and play the whole time. You just kind of have to know what you're doing, but yeah, it's just a, a it's one of those great things to see for a company that has a UI that's really easy to make the product customizable uh, quickly yeah. on the fly. So, so what makes it brilliant? Is it just the the ability that it, like the navigation, or is it the touchscreen, or what 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 about it? It's is? Kind of, really it's the combination of it just being touchscreen. Um, but also it provides a lot of tool tips throughout the system. So every time it's like a first time you're using a new setting, it'll give you a quick tool tip like, hey, this is what Aperture is for. If you change it to one extreme, you're going to see really uh, heavily, heavily visual pictures versus on the other side, everything will be really, really blurry. Um, so that that's pretty great. And plus it gives you a lot of a lot of control as far as the ranges you pick within values. So you can like pick specific numbers or you can like go down to decimal points if that makes any sense. It's just, it's got a lot of really easy usability features in terms of telling you what's going on or what you're changing, but also letting you get like really down and dirty and make your settings exactly what you're looking for. 
Oh, okay. I see. I see. I see. Um, so I got to say, man, I, I got a lot to talk about here and I'm, I'm having trouble parsing all my thoughts. So I'm just going to go down this bullet point by bullet point and, uh, you know, we'll see where we get. I, I don't expect to talk about all this because we can save some for next week. Um, I just want to quickly mention that the, uh, that CES is happening this week and we'll, we'll be around to cover, uh, a lot of that next, uh, Next week, uh, we'll be kind of, you know, grabbing our uh, initial thoughts on that. And uh, but I, I got to ask you, Blake, are you familiar? So this is a human factors podcast. This is a human factors and ergonomics podcast. Are you familiar uh, at all with cat biomechanics? I was waiting for you to read this bullet point to hear the explanation. No, I'm not familiar with the biomechanics of cats, but I would love for you to tell me more. Excellent. So, let me. So we went through some interesting things over the uh, over the holiday. So, our one and a half year old kitten, uh, she started limping. You know, and and we thought this might be a strain, a sprained ankle or something, or a sprain. Letting it go. We picked her up one day, and you know, her bones started crushing together, and uh, or, or we could feel them kind of grinding, and we were like, oh, that's that's more than a sprain. That's not good. So as any good pet parent would do, we took them into the vet and, um, you know, the doctor said, well, we, we're going to have to take x-rays. And, uh, you know, after the x-rays, we um, we basically found out that our cat has a very rare degenerative, degenerative disorder among cats. Um, the actual name of it's called a vascular necrosis of the femoral head. In layman's terms, um, her hip joint wasn't getting blood supply, which is basically causing her bone to diminish and disappear. So long story short, in, in dogs, this is more common, right? So they can, in bigger dogs, they can attach kind of this, uh, this surrogate joint. They, the, it's like a fake hip in humans, right? Um, and because our cat is so small, uh, they don't make them that size. So what's really interesting to me is that she had to get a surgery done where they basically cut off the little ball joint that connects to her hip, wrapped it with um, with a muscle, and then sewed her back up, and that muscle is going to act as a surrogate joint. Uh, and as it builds scar tissue, it'll basically harden and, and uh, create that joint. And I, at first, obviously, I was like, how the hell is this going to work? Right. You know, like I, I don't know. Ergonomics is not my, my cup of tea. Right. But this just didn't seem like it would work to me. But sure enough, like this is what, four weeks ago, she's actually walking around and jumping now. And, and I'm just amazed with the way this is working. Well, that's incredible that only in four weeks you see like such a drastic difference in the cat's ability to walk. But I I mean, it kind of makes a little bit of sense if you think about it, I guess, like looking at it in the human perspective. Because I know for certain problems with like knees and hips, especially the knee, like they'll do a patella tendon graft where they'll actually cut a piece of your tendon off to to kind of help you um, help your knees stay together better. Uh, so, I mean, I, it makes somewhat sense, but it's still incredible that the body is that flexible or that, uh, adaptable. Yeah. Just that adaptable. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, I was blown away by it and she's, she's doing well. Um, we, uh, 
Yeah, I we we couldn't believe it, and and honestly, it was a uh, it was a really interesting like fr- you know of of course the pet parent in me was like freaking out, but the the scientist in me was wow that is really interesting. How are they going to do that? What you know like what are the steps that we're going to take to make sure she heals correctly? It was it, it was a interesting experience that I don't want to go through again. Uh, <laughs> there's the possibility that she might have to go through it again if if. Uh, you know, it, it happens on the other hip, but uh, as of the X-rays a month ago, uh, everything looked fine. So, whew, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Jeez, that's an intense thing to have to go through, especially as a pet parent, for sure. During the holidays, yeah, too. Uh, okay, so I want to get onto this next topic. Blake, have you seen any of Black Beer season four? No, I have not. I have not seen any of it at all. But if you have things that you'd like to say about it, I'd love to hear it. Because no. you know you are highly influential on in what I watch. You know what, Blake? I would like you to watch this, and then maybe we can talk about it for next week's banter. All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. I mean, if you have time. If not, don't worry about it. But uh, I just thought I'd throw it out there. It is out there, and it deals with technology in some interesting ways. Um I like some better than others. I'll just leave it at that. And, you know, you and I can talk about it next week. I think that sounds good. I think that works. Uh, And this other bullet point I'll save for next week, too. Okay. So how about you say we jump into the news because it's typically a little bit slow over the holidays. So we're going to kind of cover some of that. But, uh, you know, I miss talking about Human Factors news. What do you say? Let's do it, man. All right. So this is the part of the show all about Human Factors News. So we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from medical, transportation, psychology, artificial intelligence, whatever it is, as long as it relates to the field of human factors. Blake, what do we got up first this year? All right. Yeah, this year. Okay. So this year, we're already looking back to last year. And so we're looking at what people were Googling in 2017. So here are a few metrics in the world that offer us a little bit of insight into our society, such as Google's annual year in search. More than any of the other year in year in download and streaming roundups, Google's offer Google's offers a clear snapshot of the things that captured our imaginations and baffled us during what felt like a particularly turbulent year. So Nick and I are going to take a look at what's going on in the US with regard to Google searches for 2017 and break down what it could mean. So, Nick, do you want to tackle these uh, top U.S. searches first or sure. some of the customer tech? Nah, let's let's go with the uh, the top Google searches first, and and then we can t- we can just kind of talk about that, and then we'll go we'll go into uh, the tech searches in just a minute here. Um, but let's let's just talk about these item by item. So, number one, Hurricane Irma. So, yeah. I mean, we don't have to talk about it yet, but I can definitely see a theme here a little bit with some of the searches as far as like weather or big events in the world. Big events, topical events. Um, yeah, and I, I this so I'm I'm gonna plant some seeds here, Blake. So I'm talking with the HFES Outreach Committee, and I think we're settling on disaster relief as a way to sort of reach out to layman people. And kind of explain the importance of human factors in these things. And looking at this list, I'm I'm really kind of uh, blown away by the amount of uh, sort of disaster relief uh, logistics that need to be sort of you know there, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. And if we can say, hey, look, us as human factors people, we we can make a difference in this process wise or or anything like that. 
I think it's a good thing. And so I'm just planting those seeds now. We may see something on the show. We'll see. We'll see. But let's Which go. Which especially makes a lot of sense with the uh, like the amount of technology that we have in our lives now. And I mean, with even social media getting into this, we talked about a few times on the show. Absolutely. Uh, them having services for disaster relief. So it's definitely more important than ever to kind of understand the process and how you disseminate information, what people should be doing, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. You know what? I'm just going to read these off and then we'll kind of talk about them holistically. So All we right. got Hurricane Irma. Matt Lauer, Tom Petty, Super Bowl, Las Vegas shooting, Mayweather versus McGregor fight, uh, Solar Eclipse, Hurricane Harvey, Aaron Hernandez, and Fidget Spinner. That is a pretty great amalgam of things, especially that number 10, the last thing in 2017 that ranked high is the Fidget Spinner. Yeah, no kidding. That that definitely took over the zeitgeist for a little bit, for sure. Yeah, Um, jeez. So, you know, one of these, uh, the biggest thing to me is that this, this, it, there's like this trend on these big events. We just kind of mentioned it, right? So you got Hurricane Harvey, Las Vegas shooting. Super Bowl is a big annual event, uh, which I'm kind of surprised to see up there that it's being searched for throughout the year consistently enough to, uh, or, or maybe people are just Googling it around the time of the Super Bowl. It's interesting to me. And then you also you have Hurricane Irma. Uh, but it's also interesting, too, that we have sort of this emergence of, uh, well, people, it, it looks like people are interested in the Me Too movement, especially because Matt Lauer is number two. Um, and and that's good news all around for uh, change, right? If we elevate that these are what people are searching for. Um, you know, I bet you not far down on the list, you'd get hashtag Me Too, Kevin Spacey. Uh, some of the others that uh, Harvey Weinstein, I bet you you see some of those down there too. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised seeing one at number two. You don't see more in the top ten list, but yeah, that yeah. Might, might depend on when they sample the data and that kind of stuff. Well, I am assuming it's for the whole year. Um, all right, but why don't we get into the tech stuff here? You want to read those off? All right, let's do it. So starting at number one, we got the iPhone eight, then the iPhone X, Nintendo Switch, Nick's favorite, Samsung yeah. Galaxy S eight. Razer phone, can't even believe that. Oh, iPhone 8 Plus back again. Super NES Classic, Google Pixel 2, Apple Watch 3, and then Samsung Galaxy Note 8. Um, it do- for some reason, it really doesn't surprise me that Apple just really rules that list. Yeah, what does surprise me, though, is that they're all phones. Uh, or, yeah. or mostly phones or or um, Nintendo consoles. <laughs> That's kind of cool that there's like number three and seven are both video game related. Yeah. So I, everything else though is a is a phone or some sort of mobile device, which highlights kind of the the importance that these um, th- these mobile devices have in our lives, right? You know, I'm surprised that we're not seeing any apps up there, uh, like Facebook or something, because I mean, how many times do people search for Facebook to go to Facebook and Google? You know what I mean? Like when you just type it into the yeah, and it's almost hard to believe that that's coming up, that like iPhone 8 is coming up more times than something like that, like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, just being searched and then gone to. Sure, um, yeah. I, I mean, maybe they've yeah. whittled those out. I'm not quite sure on that, but it, it certainly seems to me like those would be included in this if if possible. So I don't know what to make of this list other than there's a lot of phones and Nintendo is making a big comeback with some of its, uh, with some of its devices. 
Yeah, I mean, I think for just looking at it, me personally, it tells me kind of where people's heads are at and where design might need to focus. Because I know there's been a lot of big changes that came with along with the iPhone X. Um, Google Pixel has made like a big splash as far as design for Android. And also, too, like um, I didn't really know much about the Apple Watch until around Christmas and my stepdad got one. And really the design of Apple Watch apps is going to continue to be a big deal over time. Yeah, uh, so I think looking at this list kind of can show people where uh, consumers' heads are at and where maybe from like a user experience or just design perspective where they should be looking. Yeah, definitely interesting for sure. Um, okay, why don't we get into this next story here? All right, Nick, let's do it. All right, so cashierless ordering kiosks are becoming more and more commonplace at fast food restaurants like Wendy's and McDonald's. But Golden State Burger chain Cali Burger is taking it one step further. Leave it to us in California. So it's new self-ordering kiosks. You use AI and facial recognition technology to order, pay, and log into the chain's loyalty rewards program. It'll even remember your crazy custom order to boot. So for now, the pilot program is only available at the chain's Pasadena test store, and Cali Burger says that it pro- that if it proves a success, there will be a global rollout next year. Wow. Nick, I never thought that one of the first places we were going to really see AI and facial recognition come to life was in a fast food restaurant. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is actually, if you'll remember, um, last year we kind of talked about it as a similar story with a, with a burger flipping robot. It's the same location. Whoa, so these guys are just out here trying to really push innovation in the fast food world. Yeah, that's certainly what it seems like. Now, this totally makes sense to me, right? If you had some sort of um, way that you <laughs> kind of just walk up to the thing and it orders your usual, and you don't have to deal with people. And, I mean, they have this they have this video on the site that just shows people's frustration with dealing with another human um when you order at fast food and these people are smiling at this machine i don't know did you have a chance to watch this video man no but i can i can see like where people's frustration would be especially like in these fast food places where there could be a lot of people there's a lot going on uh but man nick this is gonna if this works out for them imagine just the efficiency of getting getting people in getting them ordered paid and then it's basically just left to how the food's delivered Right. I mean, how many times do you go to a restaurant and you're just you have that like go to item, right? And you just you smile at the thing, it orders it, it has your credit card info, you just smile and it boom, it orders it and it's ready in a couple minutes. Like it makes it so easy. Uh and Yeah, it'll make it really really fast. Yeah, this is I you know, it's a uh, It's amazing to see where facial recognition is going. And I yeah. certainly I certainly didn't predict that it would go straight to the fast food industry, but it makes sense, right? If you can cut out that middleman, you save so much money on on humans a year uh, that the humans have to go and do other things. So now they have a a burger flipping robot and they have the facial recognition that does your orders. It's an automated kiosk. So now what's next? Uh, Automated servers. And then they're fully autonomous in the place, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what I feel like. I mean, if they figure out some just really efficient excuse me some kind of like either conveyor belt or just somebody some robot running around the restaurant delivering the food i mean you've really cut out the need for people or even if if you can make all this happen from just the kiosk and have people outside of this outside of the actual shop i mean it can change the way that fast foods even run sure and i mean to me it's it's um 
it's not it's it's taking jobs yes but it's distributing them in a new way right so now instead of some 19 year old kid taking your order it's going to give this 19 year old kid more agency where he has to basically do supervisory control and manage these automated systems and now uh you know they're teaching 19 year olds more responsibility and they're only paying one of them um i don't know i i i like that idea a little bit better yeah i like the kind of the implication of it like it's going to require you to learn different skills and be much more like a manager or a leadership role as far as like being supervisory to technology but what do you think nick about this so this fast food chain having your face just on tap in a database just hanging out does that make you cringe or is that just cool because it, it's helpful and makes your life easier? Eh, I, I don't know, man. So you it's a trade-off, right? So obviously you trade privacy for convenience in today's society. And you, you're also talking to a person who put an always listening device in my home. But then again, I podcast every week on a Monday night. So I don't like... I. To me, it's I got nothing to hide, and the future's here, and if it saves me a couple of seconds ordering my food, then why not? Yeah, I agree. All I got to say is if In-N-Out gets this, I will be the first in line to give them my face. Oh, my God, yes, yes. I'm all in on the In-N-Out. Just give me a double-double <laughs> protein style, and, and that's it, and, and just with a smile. <laughs> Perfection. Okay, man, why don't we get into this next story here? Yeah, this one's really exciting, especially since we're kind of in the realm of AI. So whether we're aware, aware of them or not, algorithms affect a huge part of our lives. Now, in a, in a U.S. first, New York is actually taking steps to address potential algorithmic biases and services provided by municipal agencies. So city council has passed a bill that would create a task force to examine if and how service algorithms are biased how citizens can appeal decisions made by algorithms if they feel they're unfair, and if agency source code could be made made publicly available. So maybe just moving open source. So weeding out algorithmic biases and challenging the system that allow them to exist in the first place will have a massive civic impact and set vital precedents for the rest of the country. So, Nick, I mean, we've talked about this all throughout 2017, kind of the issue of what happens when you release an algorithm into the into the world. It's all based on what data you're giving it to feed off of. And if we're going to start using or apparently we are already using algorithms in in such places as in municipal agencies, that has like a big effect on people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a really important case because there's all sorts of I'm yeah you're right we have talked about this before we have talked about how uh, algorithmic bias can be racist and how it can be sexist and how it can impact people unjustly and um, introducing a bill that at least tries to mitigate that in how to build these algorithms with care such that it either selects people uh, with no favorable outcome or um, or, or with no biases built in, I, biases. I, I think this is this is absolutely necessary, and it's a step in the right direction. I'm excited to see uh, how this kind of plays out and what what will follow, uh, not just here in the United States, but worldwide, uh, acknowledging that 
algorithmic bias is a is a problem that we got to we just take these algorithms for you know face value and say okay well um it put me in this group or put me in that group or gave me this decision and didn't give me that or whatever whatever the algorithm is built to do uh that there are these inherent systems in place that um kind of unjustly favor one group of individuals over another uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see where it goes and what kind of spark this will be, uh, to ignite the fire, to take the first order down. Yeah. I mean, I think this, it's really interesting the way they're tackling it. And I think it's a great idea that they're putting together some kind of task force to kind of, you know, catch what's going on within the decisions that these automated systems are making. But honestly, the part that I think is going to serve them the best and probably serve, sounds grandiose but serve the world the best is if this kind of code is made open source i mean the stuff that happens through open source code is just incredible and then you're you just have such a a different class of developers who are trying to tackle problems together across the internet versus it being siloed in one place um and you just when you have that many different people trying to tackle one problem i mean there's just there's always people that just have different creative solutions or more experience with different algorithms and how they've dealt with this kind of challenge in their system and how it could apply um, kind of like in a more holistic sense. So I hope that it actually moves towards this publicly available option. You know what's really exciting to me is that they are basically, um, they're, they're empowering people to sort of appeal whether or not these uh, these algorithms are fair or not, right? So so they're actually giving the power back to the people who are affected by these algorithms. And it's, it almost seems like it would go into a review process where, um, you know, if something's completely unfair, then they would take a look at it or, you know, has been flagged a, a, a certain number of times. They could go in and look at it and adjust the algorithm accordingly. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's something I think a lot of people need to be made more aware of that, there is a there's a need to understand how some of these algorithms work and some of the consequences of a bias algorithm and how it can impact you, especially in in a case like this where it's like dealing with either uh, you know like traffic violation issues or whether you're eligible for bail and if it's targeting people unfairly. I mean, if if people understand that that's a problem that can be addressed or that should be thought about, they don't really know that they can they have anything that they can bring to the table and say i've been targeted incorrectly based off of what your algorithm's doing so i just hope we see in 2018 just a lot more awareness of okay we're we're putting a lot of ai out in the world but what does that really mean for you and what does it mean for you in terms of your responsibilities of being proactive about things that might affect you yeah i completely agree uh all right do you have any other closing thoughts on this one before we move on I do not, Nick. Let's get going. All right. So I just want to thank all of our friends over at TechCrunch and Gadget, IEEE Spectrum, uh, for all of our stories this week. If you guys want, you can follow along with all of our social media for links to these original articles. We post them as we find them. Uh, so you can go ahead and follow along there. Okay, Blake, what do we got up next? Oh, so here we go. Amazon's Black Mirror, as Nick put it earlier in the show. So Amazon's next move in the fashion world could be a mirror that shows how outfits will look on you without actually having to put them on. So using mirrors, screens, displays, projectors, and 
cameras, the system is able to combine a person's likeness with virtual images and present a blended reality reflection that shows them in a variety of virtual background settings and wearing virtual outfits. Technology described in this new patent seems like a logical follow-up to the Echo look, and strategy makes even more sense considering Amazon's recent acquisition of 3D body models body model startup body labs last october and nick i think this has massive potential for people using it and sharing it with their friends and making decisions about purchases that it purchases they want to make but that litany of things that i just read off to have this mirror working i'm unsure of where they see this happening is this in somebody's home is this in a store what do you think? Who knows? The future's here. Um, but I, I mean, this is very similar to the sort of advertisements that we saw in Minority Report, right? Where, um, you know, it's it's imagining you in this product and nothing is a better salesperson than uh, showing you how you can see yourself in this thing. And that that's almost scary. Uh, but man, like, think about how cool you'd look like in that leather jacket. Like I know I look awesome in it. I can see myself now. Yeah, man. That's what I'm saying. Like there's, if you, if you can picture it, you're more likely to have it. You're more likely to buy it. So it's, it's both scary and exciting. Um, especially like you said, where is this going to be used? Is it going to be used in someone's home? Well, we don't know. Um, this to me seems like something that would be maybe, um, applied in a retail setting i feel like that would be a more acceptable place for this because uh, who knows maybe eventually there'd be some technology that you include in the home yeah man i mean honestly nick i see this at some point and i this is forgive me anybody listening that knows the technology better than i do but i feel like at some point this could be done using your phone's camera to try and project either project it on uh, like an HD headset that you're a VR headset that you have or something so that they can stay only like going through amazon.com versus like having actual, you know, or maybe they have Amazon mirrors in these retailers and they form partnerships. But I, I don't know. I foresee this at some point getting to be just a mobile app. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that too. Um, but I, I think can you imagine just walking up to a mirror and having like NFC tags in the clothes that you're wearing and all of a sudden like you walk up to a mirror and you don't even have to change clothes. You just kind of see what it looks like on you. I Again, we're like really getting into this one. One of the things I see like a common thread in some of these stories is just like really efficiency and shopping. So I think it's just going to make people be able to make their decisions a lot quicker yeah, right, now, so now just make everything better. One thing that's interesting to me is sort of the ethics of this, right? Can can you take somebody's likeness and dress them up effectively uh, with with clothing? Now, I, I can imagine there'd be a lawsuit on the on Amazon for something like this if you know it was implemented in the public space where somebody walks up to a mirror and say, "Whoa, uh, that's not what I'm wearing." How do you? How can you project that onto me? Like that's weird. Um, I don't know. I can see something like that coming out of this, but at the same time, it's like, who knows? Well, again, yeah, we run into the storage issue, right? Like, okay, I've, I've tried on these outfits at a store. Is this sitting somewhere on a server or was it just the one time use? Um, and I, I would feel like they'd want to use that information. I don't know how that it maybe provide customer insights or something like that. Right. But I feel like recordings of it would be used over and over, but you bring a great point. I mean, this, 
this just brings yet another set of ethical questions that we have to really think about as people design this kind of technology. It's like, okay, where's it going to be used? What do we really have to ask permission-wise of people to be able to use it? And then how do they start interacting with it? Do they walk up to the mirror? Do they talk to it with their voice? Do they just show it the outfit? How does the process even work? There's just there's a lot to figure out with it. It's, but it is a really cool idea. All right. Well, I got nothing else to say on this one. All right, man. Are you ready for perhaps the coolest story of the week? You like this one? I do. I really do. I really like these guys. Let's jump in. All right. So your game character is a child trapped in a nefarious government lab. And as you scan the room, you see a variety of objects laying on the floor, each flashing with a light. You can focus your mental attention on a block and it raises, rotates, and rotates before you in the air. You focus it and it breaks the mirror on the wall to allow you to hurtle towards it and go through <laughs> go through revealing re- revealing a scrawled sequence of numbers beneath. You notice a keypad by the door with numbers that are also flashing subtly. Well, using your Jedi-like powers, you focus on certain digits in the correct sequence to open that door. So, what I've described is the opening sequence of a new virtual reality game called The Awakening. Well, what's different about this particular VR game is that it's using Neurable's brain scanning headband that attaches to the VR headset to actually interpret neural signals, which enables wearers to play the game without using any sort of controller. They're simply using their mind to move throughout the game and complete actions. So could this be the next thing in VR? I don't know, but I would take a bet that Neurable may be the next thing in VR with regards to how we interact. What do you think, Nick? So the only thing I thought while reading this article, can you guess? Uh, I, th- uh, I don't know. I, I have a guess, but I'd rather hear it from you. I want to hear your guess, man. I'll tell you either way. Honestly, I think that it's too complicated okay. for people to like want to use. Nah, my first thought was, oh my god, I can be a Jedi. <laughs> yep, okay. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. Uh, yeah. No, that's totally true. <clears throat> which, this makes... This just makes me want to get a VR headset all the more, although I'm sure like when this will be released to the public, I have no idea. See, so I, I don't think it will be released to the public. I think it'll be contained in these experiences where you have all this sophisticated information and it will kind of create a buzz around it. Now, I am like, I, I think I mentioned this on the show, the Star Wars hyper-reality experience, Empire's uh, Secrets of the Empire, whatever it is. I'm doing that on my birthday here in a couple weeks and I'll report back on how that is. But it, it basically combines multiple elements. And I think that is an experience that you go out to. And very similarly, I'd imagine that this is an experience that you would go out to. And you'd fully understand going in that you have to hook up all these EEG electrodes to your head, right? And that um, that basically you're going in for this experience. And I kind of feel like uh, this is kind of in line with my prediction that we made on the show a couple weeks ago where these sort of experiences are are something that you will go out to um vr will be a social thing i i almost think of it as almost like an escape room right you go to play this game in a social space and um you know i i i i'm excited for what this this could be uh you know if they if they have a pop-up near me i will definitely go and experience this because that sounds awesome yeah i know i and i think the context you describe of using this in makes the most sense. Cause in terms of like having this in somebody's home, I just think it would be way overwhelming. And plus you, you'd probably, 
have a harder time like making sure their electrodes are put in the right place, all that kind of stuff. But the technology sitting behind this that Nurbles using is it's just really interesting to me. I mean, they're basically just monitoring your brain for ERPs or event related potentials and then using that to kind of identify what your brain is processing. Uh, and, and just all of that translational power between that and then making something happen in VR based on your thoughts just blows me away that it's, it's, I know it's 2018, but that that's happening already now in like a gaming setting is nuts. I can't imagine what implications this has for, I don't know, other fields like training people or I don't know, developing, uh, Maybe, maybe even rehabbing people's minds, making them think more and see actions happen in real time. I don't know. I just, I really love seeing this kind of work. Now, I don't think this is totally uh, out of the question for home. A couple of years ago, there was a star, there was a Star Wars product, go figure, where uh, it, it was a toy built for children, where you basically put this headband on, and uh, it read just very basic waves. Right, it's like one electrode. But it translated those. Once you learned how to use it, you could rotate things, uh, lift up a uh, uh, a ball through an obstacle course using that principle. You know, if you had some sort of easily uh, yet, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and the other thing too, I mean, as time goes, I would assume that over time, if this technology really grabs hold, or if let's say, yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on this? I do not at the moment and listen to their environment while also monitoring temperature, humidity, and other characteristics of the air by current, a general motors or a general electric company. Each will monitor thing from pointing out vacant parking spots to drivers and potentially alerting traffic enforcement. The sensor data will be used in other ways, some by the city and some by software developers creating. And I love that it's kind of starting here off in San Diego. Cause I know there's a lot of people in the community that working towards, uh, at, uh, at what's that place? Cali Burger. Cali Burger. Like you know, going into a Cali Burger, if I know that thing is there, and I walk up to it, it a lot of good can come from it. It can identify people who are um, committing every day. Um, and I, I mean, of course, there's going to be more good than evil with this. I hope it just seems like 1980 doesn't come with some scary stuff. I mean, if we go back to the one, I think one of the first stories to just be really looked after because yeah you're starting to really profile people develop their time um i think what really excited me about this nick is not so much the 1984 aspect of it kind of takes a, a little bit a little bit of like your ability to feel like you're free and just enjoying your time with your friends not being watched by a bunch of people but i guess sure. what gets me excited different applications like whether they're mobile or if it's like added into some of these in the different in different cities, especially San Diego, such as being able to like have stuff that helps people, um, just allowing people to be very creative with the information they can get from their city. That is really where I'm excited about this kind of stuff because it just it allows people to I don't know city better and kind of tailor make services for people that may need them. So on one hand, I kind of wish this data set would go public. But on the other hand, so many different people, too, because it, it really it, it just provides like a map of what you're doing in a particular place. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, this this story to me is like maybe it's just because it's so close to home. Yeah, it's, it's like here. <laughs> it's it's hanging out for these, though, for sure. And we'll report back. 
Yeah, I want to see and learn more about information about where they are. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for. Do you have any other closing thoughts on this? In the Human Factors news circuit this week, uh, let's go ahead and switch gears and get to it. Came factors and encourages discussion among <laughs> the community. Now, Blake, along with which is the user experience quiz, and this was posted by Ant Dude on. Uh, now we haven't looked at this. Uh, I thought it would be fun if you and I go through these questions and see how either right or wrong they are. Now, this is actually public. It's a reputable source, right? So let's kind of see here. Uh, let's do it. Let me get to the, let me click to the page, or do you have it in the bottom of our note? Sorry, what was that? Think oh, I'm just I'm navigating to the page. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead, man. All right. So what does the aesthetic usability effect refer to? Is it A, people tend to perceive usable products as more attractive, people B, attractive products as more usable, C, usability and aesthetic, or D, the perception of attractiveness and usability of a new site are about milliseconds when a user first sees the site. Aesthetic usability effect. I don't know that I've ever heard of that phenomenon or effect. Effect. I don't either, but it sounds definitely to me. I mean, these are the people who are you know looking at web usability, and I would I would imagine, I would imagine that they would wanting to toot their own horn usability being at the first glance of a website within that first millise- fifty milliseconds. I mean, that makes sense. And also, this one is worded in a way that makes me think it's an actual effect versus the other ones are kind of just statements. Yeah. All right. Should we reveal the answer? <laughs> let's, let's reveal the answer. B. Okay. We are bad people. All right. So <laughs> people tend to perceive attractive products as more usable. I can, I can kind I of can see that. that. I can yeah. see that. All right. All right. So they, they beat us on number one. All right. Redeem. All right. We're zero for one. All okay. Right. I'll read number two. All right. All right, so which of the following is not a micro, a type of micro-content? All right, micro-content. So is it A, page title, B, headline, C, tagline, D, E to me. Everything else could be like metadata. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna D, wow. D. Oh, Come right. on. apparently we need to read the... Uh, co- this is not but, good. Yeah, quick, quick little... Uh, FYI, by the way, I'm going to post this link in our show notes uh, so you guys can actually take this quiz as well and go to all these articles that they are recommending. Blake and I will definitely be doing some reading after today because this is super yeah. embarrassing. But you can you can follow along uh, with this as well. Um, yeah, we don't post our Reddit stories, but we we I, I will put it in our show notes. So check that out. All right, Blake, I'm going to read number three here. Let's do it. Which of the following best describes the false consensus effect? A, people tend to assume that others share their beliefs and responses to a given situation. B, designers think that their favorite web design patterns are more widespread than they are in reality. C, people assume that their needs are unique most of the time and that only in exceptional situations they will react in the same way as others. Or D, members of a team tend to act cohesively to give outsiders the illusion of consensus which of the following best describes the false consensus effect honestly nick i want to say it's either a or d what do you think oh yeah um 
Yeah, I you know, I can see it being any of these, honestly, man. Oh no, <laughs> I, I'm saying A. You're that, saying that's A. My, my choice. Oh, I can I I can make a really strong choice or a strong argument for B too. Okay. Um. Let's put them against each other and see where we come out. Hang on, I'm not willing to put my name on B quite yet. Hang on, so so which of the following best describes the false consensus effect? People tend to assume that others share their beliefs and responses to a given situation. All right, I'm going to go with A2. All right, let's just figure it out later. A, we All did right. it! All right, so we're one for three. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I love it. All oh, right. man. Do you play PUBG? Uh, apparently I need to. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. What is okay? You can you can read this next one. All right. So, what's the difference between a customer journey map and an experience map? Oh, this came up in an interview question. So oh boy. Is, yeah. So the customer journey map is focused on customers, hmm, while the experience map is fo- focused on employees. The customer journey map depicts events in chronological order, but the experience map is not chronological or sequential. C, the experience map is an is agnostic of any specific products while the customer journey map is tied to a specific product or service or last one D the customer journey map offers a general human perspective, not specific to a particular user. I'm going to lock in with C. Yeah, I'm going to lock in with C too. Hey, we did it. Two for two for four. We're we're 50%. (laughs) I know 50%. We can still pull this round. All right. We can do it. (laughs) <laughs> We're on number five here. Which of the following best describes the exhaustive review eye movement pattern? Uh, is it A, the eyes repeatedly drawn to the top left corner of the web page because the user wants to make sure that the page belongs to the right site? B, the eyes are drawn to the same area of the page repeatedly because the UI violates the user's expectations? C, the eyes systematically visit all areas of the page in an effort to not miss anything? Or D, the eyes thoroughly scan the area of the page that has the most content. This is the exhaustive review eye movement pattern. See, D sounds like a good thing, and exhaustive review eye movement pattern does not sound like a good thing. So I want to say it's C, that the eyes are moving systematically and visit all areas of the page in an effort not to miss anything. Yeah, I'm leaning towards that. (laughs) Jeez, I just don't know, man. I don't want to be wrong again. Hang on. I, know. Left. I, I don't. Eyes. I don't think it's A. No, I don't think so either. I could see it as being B. Yeah, because again, I think this is this is like a not good thing to have happen. Yeah, so, and that's violating right, user right, expectations. Right. That makes sense. I could see it being C. I could I could see it being B, C, or D. Honestly, I'm just gonna go I'm with go- B. What are you going with? I'm just going to go with B. All right, I'm going with C. All right, what do we got? B. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Oh, I, man. That's another article for me to read. All right. Yep, we got another article. Uh, okay, let's see here. Did I read the last one? Yeah, okay, you yeah, go with you this did. next All one. right, so which of the following does not usually appear in a service blueprint? So a customer emotions b customer actions c processes and d backstage actions ooh service blueprint i'm going to go with emotions on this one i'm going to go with emotions too but i feel like that might be wrong no it's right we did it nice all right cool 
Hang on, what am I at? I, I got all but two right, so I'm four for six, and you're three for six. Oh, goodness. Okay, all right. Let's see here. What is the... F- okay, which of the following is true of quantitative research? Okay, this should be easy, Blake. This should be very easy. Okay, it typically requires just five users. B, it is mostly used for formative process, uh, purposes in the early stages of a design to inform design decisions. C, it produces statistically meaningful results that are likely to be replicated in a different study. Uh D, it allows for flexible study conditions that can be adjusted from session to session according to the team's needs. Okay, B through D kind of all makes sense. D doesn't make sense to me. because No, no, because if you're looking at something, you want to compare it across multiple groups. So if the session changes, then you can't compare those two groups. I would say C, uh, I would say C or A. Um, no, not A. I would say C. It produces statistically meaningful results that are likely to be replicated in a different study. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I mean oh. that fits the yeah that fits the mold of research. Okay, what are you what are you thinking, C? Yeah, I'm thinking C. C. All right, all right, all right. Good. There it is. Hey, oh, all right. We got three left, so let's. Let's go ahead and go through this. All right, which, All right. You go ahead. All right. Which, the, which part of a web page receives most of the user's fixations? The left hand, the left half of the page, the right half of the page. Both sides of the page receive about an equal proportion of fixations. It depends on the page level in the site's AIA hierarchy. Hmm. I'm going to say the left half of the page. Yeah, that, that's what I think. It, it would depend on probably the part of the world you're in, but I would think that would oh, be Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, man. I didn't even think of that. Um, one sharp cookie, Blake. All right. So I'm, I'm saying I'm going a. with A. If it's D, I'll be surprised, but I'm going with A. Ah, we're right. Okay, good. Good, Thank good, good. Goodness. All right. So I'm I'm uh, six out of eight. You're five out of eight. Yeah? Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see here. Nine. Uh, is this me reading? Or are you reading? Yep, I forget. This is you. Okay, it's late. Uh, what is one advantage of sliders for application design? Is it A, they represent more fun and engaging input method compared with other UI controls? B, they allow users to explore the effect of the control for the whole range of the associated parameter? Or C, they support precise selection for a specific value within a range? D, they allow both fine and coarse parameter adjustment? I want to say B. The effect of the control for the whole range of the associated parameter. Because hmm. D, I don't know that with a slider you get fine control, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm leaning against D. And Precise C's, selection of specific yeah. value, that could be it. Uh, but I, I don't feel like that they're that precise either. No, I'm going to lean B. I'm leaning B. Yeah, it could be more fun and engaging, but I would doubt that that's the reason. That's not the reason, yeah. All right, let's go with B. I'm going to go with B. All right. And it's B! Woo-hoo! All right. I'm I'm really excited here. There's a score at the bottom, so (laughs) I'm trying to... Oh, jeez. All right, all right. What do we got here? So. All right, so which of the following is true of tree testing? Oh, man. Oh, boy. It should be done before card sort card sorting when both card sorting and tree testing are used it does not typically collect any quantitative measures 
It is devoid of individual styling, does not reflect well the experience of interacting with the full design. It can be used interchangeably with card sorting. So, Nick, yes. I'm going to come clean and tell you I don't know what tree testing is. So, I think tree testing is where you go down a specific path. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure, um, but that's... Uh, like you know, like you're you're looking for the golden path. I think that's what it is. I'm not sure. We'll have to read the article whenever uh, whenever we hit reveal answer here. But um, I'm gonna uh, knowing that knowledge, I'm gonna go with C. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking based on that description. Yeah, I'm gonna go. All right, and it's C. Yes, okay. no read to read. No need to be read about tree testing. Apparently, uh, although I will because I'm that going was. To. Yeah. That was making me sweat a little bit. Whew. All right. Well, Blake, what was your score? Uh, okay. So I think I got like 8 out of 10. All right. I was 8 out of 10 as well. Wait, no. You no, must have got 7. 7 out of 10 then. Okay. All right. So you, Blake, you clearly know a good deal about UX, but may want to study harder next year. <laughs> yep. You're right. <laughs> Consider subscribing to their newsletter to get future articles as they're published. All right, here I got. I got an eight. I got an eight. You got a. You are a UX expert. An eighty percent score on a much bigger set of exams is what's required for UX certification. This quiz is good practice, but does not count for UX certification. Ah, damn. I will say the 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 ten is really funny though. The, what's the ten? The ten is send us your resume the next time we announce a job opening. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, so if you guys take this quiz, wait, you just listen to us do it. So there's no way you can take this quiz. Dang it. We should have just said take it and then come back and listen to us banter about it. Oh, well, better luck next time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll remember next take time. It anyway, maybe you won't remember the answers. All right, Blake, you want to close it out for today? Let's close it out, man. All right, dude. So that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the stories this week. Did you like them? Did you hate them? It was a slow week. You know, the holidays and all that. Let us know. If you guys have any suggestions for topics or news stories that you want us to cover, you can follow us all over social media or join us on Slack. Head on over to the Human Factors Cast, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at HFactors Podcast. We're hanging out over there, too. If you want, check us out over on our SoundCloud. Also, leave us a comment over there or send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com. If you're feeling saucy, leave us a voicemail at 901-646-143. That's 901-646-1HFC. Even if it's to say hi, just say hi. Stay on the air. If you don't want to support us financially or can't, it's okay. I understand. You know, go subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, whatever your favorite podcast directory is, system and feedback constructively. And of course... You can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Garnstorff, thank you for starting the year off right with me. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about 1984? Oh, as always, you guys can reach me about all things 1984. Or if you're feeling saucy, you can hit me up on Twitter at DontPanicUX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can factors cast. Happy New Year's. And until next time, it depends. It depends. Depends. Many more depends to come.
spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.